okay, well, my first expectation was for you to like keep the gum out of your mouth, but that's not happening because I see another piece in there. Oh my God. Sorry. It's okay. Okay. It's a good boy. Um, I can't see you now. I'm Nikki Bond, and my absentee rock and roll dad has just recently come back into my life. So now I have to try and teach him how to be a father because he has no clue. Okay, guys, I'm not going to do an intro because this is the episode that Bobby wanted. Okay, I guess this is kind of an intro, but this is the episode that Bobby wanted where he interviews me. And I'm so sick of hearing myself speak that I'm sure you will be too. So we're just going to get straight to it. Yeah. Are we, are we started? We're started. We can start. Um, okay. Recording now. Okay. Test. Test. Input. I got to turn this fucker up. Test, 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 test. It's really test. loud. It's really loud. It is, isn't it? Okay. Well. Is it because you can't hear yourself? I can hear myself. I'm just looking at the waveform. All right, Dad. So what's new? A lot of new stuff. A lot of new things I'm learning. How about you? <laughs> I thought this was. <laughs> I thought this was supposed to be about yourself. I know, you. but we're doing a catch up. We're doing a oh, catch up. Did you ever watch that Netflix thing I recommended? No, not yet. I haven't okay. been home that much. It's okay if you watch it or don't watch it. I mean, you might freak you out. I don't know if I would. So, guys, just this wasn't on the podcast, but my dad wanted me to watch this Netflix thing about death and about people that face death because I'm very afraid oh. of death. No, 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 no. It's just. What's it called? What's it called, Dad? Near-death experiences. Near and it's it's uh, actually the first case. I mean, it's a book, so there's other um, stories that aren't in the show. But it's it was a doctor who's like basically wasn't didn't believe in any of this, and she was dead for thirty minutes in the rapids, and she saw everything and it was pretty it's pretty cool i found it to be very cool it's fucked up to see to see a doctor in her scrubs at work talking about this was pretty remarkable yeah i don't want to get into all that i don't want yeah that's scary yeah. and i don't want to talk about yeah. that right now um yeah. you you have bronchitis um <clears throat> i don't know what i have but what i I feel a lot better, you know. That's good. Yeah. Um, yeah, that asthma shit is really a drag. <clears throat> I hate it. Yeah, it is a drag. It's like no one understands how, how bad asthma is, and then they make fun of people with asthma. And it's like, no, asthma fucking sucks. Like, you can't breathe. It's horrible. Yeah, it's horrible. It's really not cool. It's not good at all. And, you know, you think that it's asthma and you could still do stuff. But, you know, if you try to run or work out, it makes it worse. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you you used to always tell me as a kid to run because that's how your asthma went away. Do you still believe that? No, I, I don't know what I believe anymore. I've, I've heard about so many 
contradicting medical stuff that it's very confusing and you really got to go against the grain sometimes and understand like there's a lot of dogma out there about things medical you know what i mean yeah because remember you you said that you had asthma and then it went away yeah but i think that my asthma is is it's getting this it's this bad now because i think i had covid yeah and i couldn't get tested because there's other things that are going on that is not normal yeah right it's true well and also i don't know if you remember this but back in the day i went to like a naturopath like hippie uh medicine woman obviously because it's what i do and i don't Mm -hmm. know if you remember but she said to me you have signs of tuberculosis like i don't have tuberculosis but she was like you have um like your lineage had tuberculosis and it's still in your system and that's why you have problems with your esophagus and with asthma and then I asked you, and you said that Baba had tuberculosis. No, my grandfather, her her father had tuberculosis. Oh, did he die of it? Yeah. Uh-huh. He did? Yeah. Uh-huh. So maybe... I mean, I was, I was, it was 1960. I was over there, and he was coughing up blood, and it was, you know, a lot of blood. When you say over there, do you mean in Czechoslovakia? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. God. Actually, there's there's a there's footage of that this one picnic we went on, and he was coughing up blood, and uh, we we're outside, in a beautiful, beautiful area. Yeah. What do you mean? There's footage. You have a video of him coughing up blood. No, but I I saw him coughing up blood at that picnic. Mm, right. He would try to hide it, but I, all this all the kid, you know. All the siblings were starting to cry, so I knew it was bad. But uh, gross. All right. Well, this is uh, the episode I didn't want to ever do, and you do. So I'll let you uh, interview me. Well, I, I, did we cover when you moved to New York? I think so, but I think I took it out because it didn't make sense to have it in that episode. Right. So. Uh, you lived in New York, but you don't want that in the podcast? That can be in the podcast. I just get bored talking of myself because I don't think it's that interesting. And I don't think like the listeners really want to hear about it. But I'll do it because you want to do it. And this is your podcast, too. As much as it's more mine because I do all the work, it's still allowed to be some of yours as well. Oh, shit. Um, what happened? I did the work, too. Did you? Yeah. Absolutely. What did you do? I'm doing this. Okay. This is, this is just a conversation. But, so, you, you know, you yeah, you do the work. You put the gum in your mouth. You take the yeah. gum out. You put the wrapper in your hand. You clink it around the mic. You put it down. It's a lot yeah. of work you, you do. For this so uh, I know it was hard to move to New York from Toronto emotionally yeah i don't think that so i moved to new york when did i move 2012 i didn't think that it was that big of a deal because it was hard to make the decision but i lived with my two best guy friends chris and mcclernan jamie you met them and i didn't want to leave that house because i didn't want like i'd be really sad to leave them 
but then Chris told me that he was moving out um, and he was going to move back home. So that was kind of like, okay, I think I need to go to New York. And that made me like finally part with Toronto. Um, Who was moving back home? My, my roommate, Chris at the time, because I, I really liked living with those guys. And the only thing that was kind of holding me back from moving was I didn't want to leave my house in Toronto with those guys because I had so much fun with them and I loved what we had, but I also felt very stagnant. Um, and then I got my U S citizenship because remember we did that. Um, and then I guess, yeah, moving to New York at the time, my panic attacks started to kick in. So because I met Matt five months before I moved and then he drove me down there and I remember going across, like hitting the border, coming up to the border and all of a sudden I couldn't breathe. It was crazy. I was having a panic attack. Yeah, but it came out of nowhere. Like I didn't even know that I was feeling that way. And then all of a sudden, now I didn't have panic attacks since I was a kid and I didn't really know what they were still. Um, right. It wasn't like right now, everybody's like panic attack. Pan-, like everyone's like, Oh, I'm having a panic attack. And also people are just open about it, but I didn't know still at in 2012. And all of a sudden my, it was the same feeling that I used to get as a kid where my throat goes tingly and wow. it feels like I can't breathe. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm having the same breathing problem that I had as a kid. And I was like, I can't, I can't breathe. And then Matt was like, I think you're having a panic attack. And I was like, I don't think so. I just can't breathe. It was wild. And, and yeah, I just like my whole body went tingly and then I crossed the border. And then since then, when I moved to New York, I was getting them all of the time. Like I remember being out for lunch with Camber, my cousin, that's what I'm talking about guys. And all of a sudden I couldn't breathe. And I was like, this is really embarrassing, but I can't breathe right now. And I didn't know Camber that well. It was like my second time meeting her as an adult. And uh, yeah, it was really embarrassing, but she was so sweet about it. But then I just was having panic attacks a lot when I moved there. Now, how did you get papers to go there? Are you going to school? Well, no, I got it through you. Cause you're oh, you, already, you already had a citizenship when you moved down. Dad. Yeah. Do you know? Remember? I, was I mean, it was uh, a long time. You, I don't know the sequence of events. It you, was before you came to, Jesus I know you I came, remember yeah. went to Super Bowl and I, I was there. They were checking me out and I was, you know, we waited for a while. Yes. There was no problem. And then you got your papers. Yeah. But I didn't know if that was, yeah, it must have been before they moved it. Yeah, you were. Yeah, I went. Pretty- yeah, that's kind of like what drove me to go to school there at Atlantic right. was that right. I had my U.S. citizenship, so then I could get a job while I right. went to school right. out there. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I remember all that. Yeah. Yeah. So then I moved in with this couple. I subletted with this couple, Upper oh, East yeah. Side, which was like brutal because it was a railway apartment. So you walked in to a small kitchen. Yeah, man, that was really rough. That was some Did rough you, you saw that apartment, didn't you? Oh, no. Yeah, I was there. I was did there. Did you see that small one on Upper East Side, or did you see the bigger I one? Saw, I saw both. Oh, you saw, saw both. both. You did see both. Yeah. 
wasn't that brutal? Like I had to walk through a closet to get uh, to my room. And then there was only a sliding door between our rooms. It wasn't supposed to be a two bedroom. And the couple didn't even like each other anymore. Like they were like trying to make it work. So they were always fighting. She was always sad. And my first week there, Hurricane Sandy hit and I was trapped in that apartment with them and they weren't talking. And I remember him being like, Nicole, do you want to like film something since we're here? And I was like, how are we just going to ignore your girlfriend? That's right next to us. It was brutal. Did you, uh, was Hurricane Sandy bad? Yeah, it was bad. It was like at the time when it was happening, I, where my apartment was, it was kind of like we were shielded, but the winds were still coming in. But what happened was I got my job at the Breslin, a restaurant about a week before Hurricane Sandy hit. So all of that week I was in training and then the hurricane hit, say it was like a Friday. No, I think it hit during the week. But anyways, like let's say it was a Friday, Hurricane Sandy hit and then we shut down. But my first shift without training was supposed to be the Saturday. And because the restaurant was in a hotel, they stayed open. So the next morning after the hurricane, like the day before the hurricane hit, it was like a warning. The winds were crazy. I had gotten off a training shift. So that was a Thursday. I got off my training shift. I went to go get like supplies and it was empty. It was like how it was during COVID. Dad, don't think they were like filming you. They can see you picking your toenails. So you might want to (laughs) like... Uh, control, control. Listen, you can you can pick your toenails all you want. I'm just letting you know. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I'm protecting. I really, I really do. I really do. Because okay. <laughs> I could have taken that and really flown with it. Okay. Anyways, so then um, I went to go get supplies. The shelves were empty. I got whatever. The next day, we were trapped indoors. The night that the hurricane was hitting, though you couldn't take the subway. They shut down the subway. So the day that I went to work on the Saturday, they were like, you do have to come in. We are open because we're a hotel. And there was no way to get there because like this, the Lower East Side was flooded. People had to leave their homes. Like I have friends that had apartments that were like staying with other friends. And then I, that morning, I didn't know how to get to work. So I had to ride my bike down uh broadway in the dark because it was 6 30 in the morning and like there was potholes everywhere it was so dangerous but i had no other way to get to work and then i worked from 6 30 in the morning and because we were the only restaurant that was open it was packed because people had their computers they needed to still do work and it was my first shift not in training and i worked from 6 30 in the morning to seven o'clock at night without a break and it was like the restaurant was packed and then once I got off it was too dangerous to walk home because it was pitch black and I just had to walk with my bike and a flashlight home and it was an hour walk wow was the wind blowing still it was blowing but it wasn't as crazy it wasn't dangerous anymore that was my first week in New York so you lived in New York for two years yeah did you like it? Yeah, I really liked it. I mean, I felt very alone, though, 
in New York. Like I had a lot of friends from Toronto there. But when you move to a city and your friends already live somewhere and they have different careers, then they have their own group of friends or they have like, it's hard to like come in and be like, hey, remember me, remember me. And I just say that because now that I live in LA and people move here, that it's hard to be like, oh yeah, you live here now, unless you make an effort. And I had really good friends that lived there, but it was hard because I worked from like 6.30 in the morning till about five and then I would go to school from six until 11 and I did that five days a week so it was really hard to like be social which made it really hard for me to like fit in um and then but once I stopped going to school or once like that slowed down then I was like more social but I just felt very alone but I was okay with it like I felt like I was like doing what I needed to do but New York is lonely because if you are in an apartment and you hear stuff going on outside and everybody's partying or like being social there's nothing more lonely than that like LA's not as lonely because everybody's alone so you are alone but everybody is so it's okay where in New York it was like oh I should be doing all these things and I'm not And so it was, I liked it. Um, I felt very like alive and like I was doing it and like, but I also felt like there was so much going on and there was so many people and things didn't seem as attainable there. Um, Like even when I did like try to get an agent, it seemed impossible to get an agent because there's so many people that you're like, I just don't even know where to go. Um, and I just was like constantly just like, rah, 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 and I became very angry, but I liked that. Like, I'd be like, fuck you to people on the street. And it was, it was, I liked that part though. I did, but it just was like a whole, um, yeah, it was a whole like thing. It was, it was just really hard to, I think I lost myself a bit is what happened. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. So, uh, when did you start contemplating moving to Los Angeles? So what happened was my school Atlantic, which was like William H. Macy, David Mamet school. They, Mm -hmm. uh, I did a whole year of that and then they were supposed to be a second year and it got canceled because they didn't have enough, like, yeah, they, it got canceled. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, I'm still going to go back to New York. They did like a smaller class thing for me and like a couple of my classmates, like a smaller program for us. And so that year I started doing more improv and I did like a couple of the classes and I still stayed involved to try and navigate like what to do. But then they had an, a school in LA, which meant that you would be taught by Felicity Huffman criminal. And, uh, and David Mamet and William H. Macy. And then I was like, okay, well that was kind of my ultimate goal was to go to that school. Like I want to be taught by those people. So I auditioned and they were like, yeah, you're in. And that was kind of like, I, I, I felt a little bit like, should I move to LA? And then I came and visited you in LA and I really liked it. Yeah. 
I was alone here, but I wasn't as, it seemed easier to be alone here. Like, cause you were doing shows all the time. Remember? Yeah. And I would take yeah. your car and like go and do stuff. I remember though, the first time I took your car, I, uh, was on the highway. I was on the four Oh five and your lights weren't on. At oh night. my God. Yeah. Wow. I drove 45 minutes without your lights on. Cool. That's so enlightening. <laughs> well, anyway, fuck but, you. Um, <laughs> well that's yeah so you you move out to la and uh what were your expectations and yeah um okay so i expected to go to school so i was like okay i'm gonna go and i felt excited about it like i felt totally okay with moving to la i wasn't scared i felt like leaving new york was a relief and i just felt like good so then when i came out here my expectations were that i was going to go to this school and then I would do a showcase and then I would be okay because the showcase like was to agents and then I would at least make friends in school. And I only had two friends out here. Um, mm. One was a very good friend. The other was like someone I just met. So I didn't really know anyone. And so my expectation was that school would kind of be my diving, diving board into the industry and it'd be okay. I didn't have to worry about anything. I would just get a job and I would go to school and do this conservatory and that would be that. And from there, who cares? And then I moved out here. I subletted Sarah Levy's room, Eugene Levy's daughter. Um, I subletted her room and her roommate was fucking crazy. Such a bitch and crazy. And I was, but I was like, I've already like dealt with living subletting and you know it's not going to last so i was living in brentwood which is basically like living on the upper east side just like snooty right. women just right, worried right. about their looks like all that yeah and uh then i was here for well the first week that huge um earthquake happened so when i moved to new york the huge hurricane happened when i moved to la the huge earthquake happened and my mom and nick move me out here they came with me for the first month or first what huge earthquake there was a huge there was a 4.5 that hit la my first week here oh that's not a big earthquake but they years. hadn't had a for they hadn't had that high of an earthquake in seven years right so okay. it was to them but to me it was my first earthquake i was in the right. marriott and the bed just starts shaking yeah Pretty in cool. santa monica yeah where there could be a tsunami that's true too. Yeah. Um, so then basically I was here for a month and then my school was going to, and then I moved into my new place and my school was about to start in two weeks and I got a call and they're like, Hey, uh, they left a message being like, I've got some news. Uh, the school is actually canceled. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uh, the school that I left New York for and I bought a car here and rented a place like I bought a car and they're like, it's canceled. And uh, we're really sorry about that. And then that was the message. That was it. I was like, and I just remember walking down the street in Brentwood from this this one main street. And I just was like shaking and crying. I was just like heartbroken like i felt like what am i gonna do like what am i doing here i'm so lost i have no idea 
I just felt like abandoned. It was like, it was like being nine years old again, you know, when you just left to four. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so yeah, my expectations were gone and I didn't know what to do. Then what happened? I don't know. I, I was like depressed for a week and then I was like, okay, I guess I'll, take some improv classes. I very much was like, okay, I have to look on the bright side. People were like, well, are you going to go home? Like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I own a car. My whole thing was like, I own a car. I can't go home. And also I just like, don't give up. I'm like, I'm not going to let that scare me away. But I started taking UCB classes and acting classes. And then I just like stuck it out. And I just like, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, started getting a lot more into improv and I made that kind of my path was comedy and I still right. took acting classes and I just hoped that I would get an agent out here. And I just was like, I guess I have to just do the industry without having that diving board or that safety net of the school. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I had to get a job that yeah. worked out. The job thing worked out really well. Yeah, it did. Yeah. So you don't have to do that anymore. Are you making enough money with the, the comedy? Um, right now, yeah, but like, I might have to. Right. Again. I don't know. They didn't. I don't know. Well, this is like off track, but to ask me about that later, and I'll tell you what happened. Did the restaurant call you back? No, but that's oh. some. I don't want to get off track okay. because we're in a flow. But I'll tell you that at the end. Um, okay. just, just don't ever put that mic that close to your mouth ever again. Talk now. Hello. That's so much better. Okay. okay. Thank you. Okay. So I moved out here when I was 29 or 30, 28, 28 turning 29. Cause I moved in March. So when did you move out here? 1980. Okay. But how old were you? Uh, 26. Okay. 27. Yeah. And when you moved out here, what made you move talking, out? What? We're talking about you. I know, but I wanted to compare what your journey when you moved out here to LA was like you, compared to mine. It, yeah, it's it, it's totally different because uh, <clears throat> things were things weren't like they are now. You know, with with the industry. You know, there were there were yeah. It was a long time ago before all the computers and every, you know, it, it was old school still as what, far as what do you mean? What do you mean by that though? Like, I don't really know what old school is. Well, I mean, the, uh, there were no CDs yet. Okay. There was no artificial, uh, what's, what's the name of that? the way they do backgrounds now computerized backgrounds and computerized like um, beats and stuff like that. Like all of that. Yeah. It's, uh, the whole, the whole computer revolution changed movie making and it also changed everything. You know, it made it, it opened it up. So where anybody could have a, a recording studio, you know, if you were to have that studio before computers or the stuff I have in logic, man, I mean, gosh, the, all the effect, everything is like a, a real studio pro tools. The one you're doing right there, man. I mean, that's got more, 
as much stuff as a professional studio back in the day, you know, because everybody was not, there was no software. It was all real stuff. You know what I mean? Like when you open up a, an effect, you see the picture of the effect that they're copying, right? So if it's in a lexicon reverb, the software will look like a real lexicon reverb, right? So yeah, it was different. Yeah. So yeah. So then, are you just saying that like your job was more in demand and now it's not? Um. Well, it, people were using real musicians all the time, so yeah, it was. I mean, drum machines were in, but people were still working in New York and a lot of sessions in L.A. Um, was, still. was L.A. like the the first place that you moved to since Florida? Yeah, that was the first place I moved to. Okay, so like I have stories of like, as I said, like the one roommate in L.A., <laughs> she 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 seemed like totally normal at first, and then she was just like, really neurotic and then she was like always taking not oxy but like some other anxiety med and she'd be like oh i took my let's say it's prozac i took my prozac today i went to work and matt texted me being like yo katie's passed out on the floor in her room with the door open because she was basically all like hyper 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 hyper." and then she took her prozac and then all of a sudden she was just out that's what I was living in with. And in like my mom got me a Costco size bag of mini eggs and she's like, Oh yeah, no, I can't eat chocolate. And I came home and it was empty. She binged the mini eggs. Like she just was like, ah, so that's what I lived with and had to like navigate my way. When you moved out here, who did you live with? Like, was it, I just feel I like married. I, you were married. Yeah. Did you move out here because of her? No, no, I no. She didn't want to. She didn't want to move here. Oh, there. wow, yeah. man! You moved uh, out here, and then how did you? When you found a place, like was it an okay place? Like, do you have any horror stories like I do, or you just like moved here? What kind of horror stories? Well, like, was there any like hiccups? Like, I just told you about my roommate i told you about the school being canceled like did you just move out here how did you find a place when you did find a place like what was oh uh, we drove here and we stayed with my cousin in silver lake they were up on the top of the hill it was really great view does your cousin and, still live here no and uh we hung with them for about a, a month then she went back to Florida and I stayed here and I found a place and then I flew back, rented a truck, moved all their stuff and went out there. Wow. And then you had friends out here, right? Yeah, I did, but it wasn't, uh, you utilize your friends from Toronto, right? There wasn't a bunch of people moving out there from, uh, Florida. It was, it was a new city and there wasn't a lot of people I knew. Right. Yeah. Just a couple of people. So then what would you do at night? Like, would you just be hanging out? I just want to get an idea of your life. Like, would you be hanging out with your wife at night going to bars no, or like, no, I, I would go out every night wait, just wait, to hear the music and to be, 
bit further. Hello? Your oh. mic is just too close to your mouth, so it gets staticky. Okay, go. I, yeah, I just moved out. Uh, I went out, listened to music, and met people, you know, tried to network at the time. And would you do that with your wife or alone? No, alone, yeah. What did your wife do? Uh, it doesn't matter, but she was really laid back and really understanding and got it. She understood what I was. What. Yeah. I don't mean like that. I just mean like, was her, could she change jobs out here? Like at the time she was not working. Okay. Okay. She wasn't interested in working or she didn't want to work or she couldn't work for some reason. She didn't, she didn't want, she didn't work at the time. Okay. But, but then eventually she got a job. Yeah. Okay. In in fashion. Yeah. Your favorite. Yeah. You love fashion. <laughs> no. Um, okay, so then you would go out and you would make friends and you would just be what? out. Was it hard to make friends at the bars and network? For me, it was. Yeah. For me, it was. Would you just like stand there and then be like, hi? I don't, I don't remember. I was, it, it's always hard to make. It's always, for me, it's hard to socialize. I have a hard time with that. But you were, it, it, you were drinking then, right? Yeah. I was more sociable back then. Yeah. It's easier that now. way. Yeah. yeah, totally. But once that stopped, I mean, I was, I, I realized, man, I just don't, I'm not into it. So then what was your first Okay. I got a I got a gig locally, uh, a steady gig, every week playing jazz or whatever, and then I picked up some road gigs and yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Were you excited when you got the jazz gig, or you already had like, were you you were already established in L.A. or sorry in Florida? I was not established. Yeah, that's what I want to know. You weren't. No, man. There's some great musicians out there. I was. No, I wasn't established. I mean, people knew my name, but it's not like they embrace you like, oh, we're going to give you a lot of work because you, you are who you are. It doesn't work like that. You know, uh, yeah, it doesn't work like that in the music business. I mean, if you, if you know somebody and you like the way they play and they're not assholes, you're going to hire them all the time. Because there are a lot of people that you don't know can't play in their assholes too on top of it or whatever you're going to go with somebody you're familiar with all the time that's what's different with your gig your, your thing is like situational yeah did you ever though encounter um some like phony balonies did you ever have like like i'll give you an example like when i i got my first manager and i was like oh this is great and she was nice, but um, she only got me like a couple of auditions. And then I made a reel and she was like, who's that boy in the reel? Like, you need to get that boy. You, you have too much footage of that boy. And I was like, what boy? And she was like, the boy in the blue jacket. And I was like, that's me. <laughs> Like she was so like out to lunch and then I was like, oh, can we meet up? And then I went to go meet her, uh, to talk, meet up with her to talk at a bar, like in Santa Monica, like a nicer bar. 
And I ended up getting wasted because she just kept drinking wine that I had to get my friend to come and get me to drive my car. And I just like stuck with this woman for so long because I didn't know any different. And now I look back and I'm like, oh my God, you know, did you have any like of those? No, you never encountered like any characters that were just like, hey, Bobby, you know what? You should do this because LA is full of them. I know. Not really. I can't, I can't, I'm sure I did, but I can't recall right now Yeah. because I was, you know, so, um, you're, were you on the fence about the comedy thing for a while? I mean, when did you, yeah, I mean, you were doing an improv class, right? Yeah. I was doing UCB and then I started doing groundlings and groundlings is like the gateway to SNL, which is like, was my ultimate dream to be on SNL. But um, I was doing UC- UCBs like where Amy Poehler and Tina Fey went. That was like, that's more like if you think of improv, like verbal comedy, that's a weird way to say it. But like, that's more dialogue based or like situational where Groundlings is like characters, you know, Robin Williams. Not that that's a reference for Groundlings, but you know, the two different styles. And so right. um, I knew that I liked doing comedy because I did Second City in Toronto and I was like on some teams and performing. Mm-hmm. But then I always just wanted to be a dramatic actress. That's like my big thing is I always just wanted to be dramatic and cry and be let my dark side fly out and all the whatever's deep down below come out. Um, so I never wanted to do stand up. Um, in New York, I had, I had a guy that I worked with who was a barista and he did stand up and he would always tell me that I should try stand up. And like, and when he said it, I never once considered it. I never was like, maybe I should. I was always like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So anyways, da-da-da-da. it was like being like, Oh, I have to go to the bathroom. And then me being like, oh yeah, okay, cool. See you in a bit. Like it was, did not weigh on me at all. I just genuinely was like, this is not anything I could ever do. Um, uh, like I didn't even know how to write a joke. I was like, no, I did. Like, I don't know how to do any of this. Like this, no, no, no. So then when I moved here and then I was doing um, improv uh, and I was, I did groundlings in a year, which is fast. Like you have to do all these levels and pass them all. So I did Mm -hmm. all these three levels to then do like the final, it's called writing lab, which is like the big test. And then if you pass that, then like now you're in the final thing that maybe, maybe you'll be a part of the groundlings theater. And then you're going to be doing these shows all the time. And then maybe just maybe, Someone from SNL will come and see you and then you'll be on SNL. But if not, you're just going to be in Groundlings your whole entire life until you're 60 and doing the same commercials that I'm doing now. So, but I, it's kind of like a brainwashy, like I got a lot of tools out of it, but it's like, it's like when you're in Groundlings, you're there all the time, twice a week. You can't go to the bathroom. It's, you know, like really intense. So I was doing that. And then when I passed all those courses, um, they basically, I, it's a year to get into the writing lab and uh-huh. I waited a year. And in that time I was waitressing and just taking acting classes and like doing improv groups. And then I had tables tell me, be like, are you a stand up comedian? 
And I would say no. And then they were like, you should be one. Cause I was like really snarky. And in one week I had three different tables tell me that when I was waitressing. And then finally I was like, fuck, fine. I'll try it. But the only reason why I tried it was because they said that, that I was like, okay, fine, fine. And there was a, um, casting director that taught a stand-up course and I would always see that she was teaching it and I'd always be like maybe I should just like do that to get to know her and then when the tables were saying like you should be a stand-up I finally was like fine I'll try it so I took the course like because I want I just have to plug my computer in I took the course because I wanted to meet the casting director is that a big yawn? Am I boring you, Dad? You no, me. no, but I'm, I'm, I'm falling. I'm. It's not because of you, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm getting. Uh, it's my nap time. But go ahead. <laughs> I, I, it wasn't because Are of you. Are you a three-year-old? <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually, I, I don't take naps anymore. But I just yawned. We've been at this for hours, man. We haven't been at this for hours. We've been at it not, for 40. No, no, not the podcast, but I mean, I had problems with, with, oh shit. So anyways, that's why I did. I took the course and I, uh, with her and I'll be honest, I didn't learn much. Um, but what it did do is it made me get on stage and then I did, I got on stage for the first time and I did really well. As a as a stand up, yeah, for the first time. For the first time, what was that like? I mean, I did it all wrong. I I mean, I, well, no. First of all, it was amazing. It was really scary. She was such a this this woman. I won't say her name, but writing I found was really fun. Like I still use some of the jokes that I wrote, uh, like my jackrabbiting joke. Did I write that? No, I didn't write that in that class. My John Cusack joke. I like wrote some of the jokes in that class. And it, with stand-up, you're supposed to go to open mics and you're supposed to get stage time and practice. But she, we, she never told us to and, or never, like never was like, you should do this. So my first time on stage was for a real show for like a hundred people. But the show was made up of like people's friends and family. So they were like there. Right. Um, and I was kind of nervous. Well, I was nervous. I had like practiced my set over and over and over like it was a script. When that's not what stand up is, stand up is like in the moment, connecting to the audience, but I didn't know. Um, anyways, so before the first show, she was like, This is what we're going to do. We're going to go around in a circle and we're going to say, one nice thing each about that person so they would be like okay let's kenny and everyone would go around the circle and say a nice thing about that person okay 10 people all saying nice encouraging things then it's my turn and she goes okay let's have a great show and i was like <gasps> i was like what what wow. yeah and I just like lost my breath and I was so insecure and I was like, she hates me. She hates me. I suck. This is so bad. No. Oh my God. She, am I, do I, okay. I don't need anybody to say anything good about me. It's totally fine. I'll be totally fine. Just let it go. Just let it go. But why didn't she pick me? Why did she just like go past me? Why she doesn't like me? I'm not funny. So I finally was like, um, sorry, you just, 
didn't say anything nice about me, which is like the most embarrassing thing. (laughs) Like this is like the most embarrassing thing to say, you know, like you didn't say anything nice about me. And then she was like, what were you going to say, dad? No, no, no. Keep going. Yeah. What'd she say? She was like, like, I just felt like such a loser to be forgotten about, but also have to be like, sorry, can you compliment me, please? Like, it's just such a loser. And so then, yeah. So I just went, you didn't, sorry, you didn't say anything nice about me. And she's like, oh, oh my God. Oh, sorry. Sometimes it's just easy to forget you because you already seem so confident. (laughs) It doesn't seem like you need it is what she said. I was like, do you know who my parents are? I need it. Okay. (laughs) Is that fucked up? So then she said, they said the nice things, but I just was so mind fucked because I was like, I'm, you forgot about, you just told me I'm forgettable, but you also told me I don't need it. But now am I confident enough? Am I cocky? Like what, what is this? So the first moment I stepped on stage, I don't know if I'll even remember. I think I like blacked out. Honestly, I feel like I have a, a video of it, but you know, Nicole, the heat is making me sleepy. Can I turn the air on, man? I'm oh yeah, dying. yeah, you can turn the air on. Yeah. You know that comedian that you sent me a a, a text about today that you met last night, Howie Mandel. Yeah. <laughs> Who? Yeah, you can cut that out. Why? Well, because he seems so, uh, I really like him. I mean, but he seems so uh, sensitive and fragile. He's got some things going on. I was saying with that kind of personality, I mean, in this business or your business, especially, you got to really be not, I mean, 90% of the time you're rejected, right? So, I mean, the first time I saw him was, uh, I love this show. It was in the seventies. It was called saying elsewhere. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's where Denzel Washington, it was like him, Denzel Washington and this other guy who became a character actor saying elsewhere. And, uh, it was a great show. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he's not as like, he is sensitive. Like there was a woman in the audience that was on her phone and she was calling him. He was calling her out and she was like, I'm just checking my emails. And he's like, oh, this is a good time to do that. And it was really funny. He's sensitive, but I, I think because, he, but he's not. Oh, wait a minute. He was working last night? Yeah, he went on after me. What happened was, so guys, I did a show last night at Westside Theater. It's awesome. It's in Santa Monica. Really good club. Oh. And um, it's so crazy because I was wearing, I was wearing this other, I was wearing like a jumpsuit that I was going to wear and then I ate too much food and I was gassy. So I changed out of the jumpsuit and I put on my Toronto jersey. I have like a Toronto blue jersey. Yeah. And I put it on and then I get there and someone was like, oh, look, who's popping in? And it said Howie Mandel. And I was like, whoa, because my mom has wanted me to like talk to Howie Mandel forever because of America's Got Talent and how nice he was to me on it. And, uh, did you know he was going to be there? No, I didn't know. No kidding. He's Canadian, right? Yeah. He's from Toronto. (laughs) Yeah. So So I was like, oh shit. Then I like, 
got nervous or I was like, oh, I need to talk to him. And then I was like, you know what? Don't have any expectations. I, j- I normally have expectations and I'm like, okay, this is what I think want to happen. And then I just was like, whatever, like he's here. So I'm on stage and I get through my set. I'm like, I, I finish one joke and I see all these people walk in and I could tell it was him. And in the moment I was about to go into this joke about my mom. Um, and it's like a dark joke, very dark that people go, Ooh. And then I like make, I turn, um, and I was about to do it. And I, I saw him and then I stood there and I was like, just something was like pivot, go clean. So I did, I switched what I was going to do about her and I went into my waitressing bits and then I got off stage and my friend was like, I was watching Howie during your set and he was laughing at this one joke. And she told me which joke it was. She's like, he started laughing and then he turned to his wife and he said something and then she shrugged. She was like, he either said like, who is that? Or like, what am I on? And she shrugged. So she was like, you should go stand like by the bar. So then I get off stage, he gets on stage and I went and stood by the bar to watch his set. And he got off stage and came directly up to me and was like, you're from Toronto. Or he's like, you're Canadian because of my Jersey. And I was like, yeah, he's like, you're hilarious. You're hilarious. And I was like, whoa. And it was crazy. And then I was just was like, why is on America's got talent? He's like, come outside, come outside and talk. And then he went outside and then he was like, you're so funny. You're so funny. And he was really nice. Like he wasn't, he didn't seem like he, what you said, he doesn't seem as like that. But I think that he might be sensitive in the sense of like, he was very complimentary and really positive. And I think that that comes from probably being the type of guy that he is. And he was like, this is my family. There was like like seven people with him. He's like, this is my wife. This is my daughter. This is this, that's my producer. He does all my, he does all my shows and he was, and then the producer was like, you're hilarious. That was awesome. And I was just like, I, th- I thought that I'd be like, ah, but I was just like, whoa, okay. And then he was like, how long have you been here? Like, where in Toronto are you from? And, and I was saying, and he's like, no, you're really funny. Like, and he kept saying it being like, you're really funny. You're really funny. And then he'd be like, so how long? Yeah. Cause you're, you're hilarious. And then he, I was like, man, my mom has been telling me, she'd be like, oh, you should go see Howie Mandel at this show and tell him. And I, and then he was like, well, okay, let's make her a video. And he was like, what's her name? And I said, Karen, he goes, no. And then he was like, Karen in Toronto. And I was like, no, Karen in Glendale. She followed me. And then he was like, you need to write a bit about that. Like he, they were like laughing at everything I was saying. And he was so nice. And then. Yeah. So they left. did you tell him about Instagram? I did. Yeah. I said I was on America's Got Talent and that's what that video was. And I was like, and you were really nice to me. I did Instagirl and he was like, wait. And then I like started to do the voice. He's like, oh yeah. But like he sees so many people and that was two yeah, years yeah. ago. And yeah. I, and because he, he was like, oh my God, like he was scared that I was going to say that he was mean. And he was, I was like, no, 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 you were really nice. And I was like, yeah. you Simon Cowell didn't want to what like, had to buzz me off for you and i was like i was like you and i told him i got to be like you knew it was a character and you pushed me further to like take it further and like you really let me play with the character and then he was like you should come on as you like as a comic you're really funny you should be on that show and i went ah and he went okay that's a no but what i had to bite my tongue and what i wanted to say was like 
it's grueling. Like, I don't want to go on there and do my comedy. It's, it's, it's really bad. Like the behind the scenes is, is they feed you a dry bagel and cheese when you're there for 12 hours. Like, I was like, I don't want to do that. I mean, I want to be on the show, but I, he doesn't know what happens. But comics don't work on that show because it's all music. No, they do. America's Got Talent is everything. There's a bunch of comics that are like famous because of that show and headline. Like you can get somewhere. A lot of people do, but I just, I already did it. And it was hard enough doing it as Instagirl that I can't imagine doing standup. But well, that's awesome. Yeah. Are things opening up more? What's the situation with the COVID there? Um, They're shutting down. They're shutting down. We have to wear, as of tomorrow, we have to wear masks again. Wow. Inside, yeah. Because people, okay, so this is what I think. Also, this episode, like, is all me talking. I'm going to hate it. Sorry, guys. No, it's okay. No, I know, but it's, you're funnier. I feel a bit, like, narcissistic. No, you are. Um, No, you're not. It's a good exercise for you. Um, to talk oh. about myself. Okay. Well, I'm asking the questions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is what's going on in LA right now. To, as of tomorrow, we have to wear masks indoors again because people who are vaccinated are getting COVID. I know five people now that are vaxxed that have COVID. No kidding. But here's what That's I, scary. but here's the craziest part. Two of the people I know are my friends boyfriends and the girls so my two girlfriends it's their friends boyfriends those girls didn't get it and they live with their boyfriends and it hasn't gone beyond that one guy and that seems to be the case with other people so what i feel like is like the foo fighters what someone in the band got it so they had to shut the show down and but i know pat like he doesn't have it so what i feel like is happening because my one friend who has it, he was with the person that was unvaxxed and then he got it. I feel like if you're vaxxed and you're with someone that's unvaxxed, they give it to yeah. you, you get it. But because you're vaxxed, you don't spread it. That's what I feel like is happening. I feel like it's stop. It's coming directly from an unvaxxed person to a vaxxed, but then it stops there because they're vaxxed. Are you, is that your theory? That's that my makes theory. sense, but that's, that's that's an interest you know what that is a really interesting uh i never thought about that like are vax people contagious yeah and they always said that we could carry it but it seems that in all of these instances all of these vaxxed people haven't passed it on to anyone else that they live with or like no one in the band and the foo fighters no one else has it they've all been tested so it just seems to me that they uh yeah it just seems to me that it's going from if if you're vaxxed you'll get it from an unvaxxed directly and then they're not passing it over that's what it seems like well that's a great man and that'd be a great study yeah i just assume if you had it you were contagious but that's putting a whole different spin on it yeah i think i mean that's just what i've gathered yesterday so maybe like i should call the cdc and let them know right you should do something like that i, I think you should <laughs> you, who am i gonna call i mean I don't, I don't i don't know who you would call or let know but it would be an interesting question yeah you know? 
if only I was more famous to say my theory and then I would be right. And then I would be like a genius, you know? Right. It's amazing because like I'm showing last time I looked, we were at like 45 minutes mm -hmm. and now we're at 207. Mm -hmm. it, it seems like it went by. I See, don't get it. The podcast isn't as bad as you think it is. I, I don't think it's bad. I'm just saying time is weird. You know, uh, well, I was fading, and then once I turned the air on, the time went faster. Oh, that's I think. probably how that time. Only... That's probably how time works. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you have All anything right. to say to the listeners? Uh, no. Uh, they're among us. <laughs> Wait, say it. Cut out. What did you say? They're among us. They're among us? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Don't uh, think about what does that mean? Okay. We know what it means, Dad. We know what it means. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Later. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye. 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 Come on, man. Bye. Bye. Leave. Leave. For the record, I don't think he paid attention to really anything I said in that so-called interview. I think he just wanted to do that so he could zone out and be there without actually being there. I think I got duped. Also, is he just fucking with his sound and pretending he doesn't know how to hold a mic anymore so that I stop recording? We stop the podcast until we see each other? Because he's a studio guy. He knows how to hold a mic. And now all of a sudden, every episode, it sounds like shit. I'm like, what happened? Either it's manipulation or pure laziness, but whatever it is, it's working, but I will never give up. And that is the sick and twisted plot of Woe Dad Podcast. All right, no Bobby bit today because this episode was long enough, but follow us on patreon.com slash Nikki Bond and Woe Dad Podcast on Instagram. We'll be back, hopefully. Hopefully.